Good morning. Well, our prayers are certainly with Tim as he recovers, um, and you may be doing more prayer to have him back uh, at the conclusion of this, or having me for a week or two. Uh, but Tim, hopefully he knows we miss him, and we wish him a quick recovery uh, to be back with us. Uh, so this morning, uh, we're going to talk a little bit on waiting on God. And I already know how some of this will go. Uh, this is probably you most of the day. And for those who can't see the graphic, it looks like a, a cell phone battery that is just about dead, uh, and your patience meter is low. In fact, some of you are thinking, could you just please get to the point on where we're going? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit this morning and contemplate this idea on waiting for God. And I want you to do something. I want you to suspend your proclivity to kind of think this is about somebody else and think about you for a minute when we go through this. Because we are often quick to point out to others, yeah, I've seen some impatient people. And then the people who tell me this, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, the person delivering this uh, is one right now that it seems to be impatient. In fact, my family knows this. And this is uh, probably a function of my, my you know, decades of a former job is I got a lot to do and I need to get to the point. So my family knows when they tell me something, they start with the bottom line right up front. I don't want the story. I want to know, is there bleeding involved? Is, do I need to call an ambulance? How does the story end? Then I'll sit back and you can get, wind me the long tapestry of the story that goes with it. But writing that narrative to get to the end when I'm like, what do I need to do? It's like, hang on, I'm getting there. I don't hang on very well. Right? I need to understand what the bottom line is, and then I normally deal with the problem thereafter. We live in a, in a, a fast-paced world. Everything that we look at is instant. In fact, I've caught myself shopping when it comes to food. I don't even want to cook it. If it's pre-cooked, packaged, ready to go, and looks fairly healthy, I'm in. Right? When I look at the back, if it says, I've actually gone through the selection of what I'm going to have for dinner if Sharon's not cooking one night, simply based on the preparation time. How many of you have done that? You've looked at it, it's like, hey, that looks really good. 35 minutes, I'm not doing that. Uh, 35 minutes, where's something for like four minutes, right? Because I've got about, I'm hungry right now. I want to do this now. We drive through the town, everything's congested. Too much traffic. You ever caught yourself timing like red lights? Like how in the world can that light have like 50 cars go through it and four go through ours, even if they're identical, right? And help the person who be, is looking at text or texting in front of you. When that light comes green, I mean, you are like spring-loaded, ready for the horn, if you see their head down, because you've got to get through that light. This is the society we live in. Pressure-filled, always busy, always trying to do something fast. And there's a bank out there, you've probably seen it, Fifth Third Bank. I could do a whole other show on Fifth Third Bank. It's an improper fraction that drives me crazy, right? <laughs> Every time I drive by it, I could never work there because I'd be solving it, right? Every single day, I'd be calling it something else. I don't know who came up with that, but it's maddening. And if it's an advertising trick, it works very well, at least on me. But they did a survey to take a look at people's patience levels because they were trying to baseline their operations. How long would you wait in line? If you're going to cash a check, if you've got a question to ask, you know, what is the average breaking point for a person? And it's fascinating because they didn't just talk about banking things. They just wanted to know things in your general life. Here's what they came up with. 96% of Americans will knowingly consume extremely hot food or drink that burns their mouth. 
The, the key word here is knowingly, right? 96% and 63% do so frequently. I'm in that 63% category, and frankly, there's nothing wrong with this. I have trained myself very well for this. More than half hang up the phone after being on hold for one minute or less. One minute is the breaking point for being on hold. 71% frequently exceed the speed limit to get to their destination faster. 71%, I think that number's a lot higher. Americans uh, binge watch, on average, seven TV episodes in a single setting. And of course, our streaming media make this almost too attractive, right? You catch yourself watching episode after episode. Nearly a third of respondents, ages 18 to 24, wait less than one second before bypassing a slower walker in front of them. And then Gen Wires check their phones on average of eight times per minute when wanting to hear back from someone they've dated. And then waiting on a table at a restaurant. If they tell you it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes, most people wait less than one minute before approaching the host saying, our time has expired. <laughs> Just think about the society we're in. Things like road rage, uh, arguments that people get in places, a lot of it's due to pressure, pace, and nobody is willing to wait. We have an instant gratification society where saving for something or anticipating something is almost an unheard of. We want it now, and we want it now and now. But God has a different way of dealing with business, and this is what I want to talk to you today about, this idea of waiting on God. I promise you this, whether you're aware of it or not, you have been waiting on God. And if you don't remember it, just give it a few seconds because before the day ends, you'll probably be waiting on God. Or at least you'll be cognizant of it. This is how God operates. And it's important to understand why. And we have a lot of biblical examples of this. We have Abraham waiting for his promise to be uh, fulfilled. We have Joseph waiting in prison uh, for his future to unfold because God had a plan for him. Moses, Caleb, Joshua wandering in the wilderness, waiting to be delivered, because the plan was already underway, but it was about God's timing. Job, waiting through patient suffering, and David, waiting to be appointed king. They were all waiting. All the biblical heroes that we look at all have examples of waiting on God's perfect timing. You think we're any different? We're not. That's the spoiler. So why does God do this? Why does God make us wait? You know, waiting for something can be excruciating. That's why I think snail mail is almost gone. We like email, we like electronic communication, we like text or phone calls, because we need to understand this now. When was the last time you mailed something off? Or you waited when someone said, I'll mail you something. It almost crushes you, because you have to wait, right? Well, here's the amp. In fact, we could stop right here for those who are impatient. If you wanted to know why does this happen and why does God use this instrument, is because it's best for us. And you need to unpack this a little bit to understand how God works in our lives. So we're going to take a small detour to understand this. We always think about God in sometimes being a distant, almost a, a boss of sorts that's waiting for us to mess up. A series of rules. We always feel inferior. You're in the flesh. You fight it every day, right? You fight sin in your life every day. The temptation is for you to do wrong. And you fight it every day. And sometimes you're successful and sometimes you're not. Because you're human. 
But we look at, we have this idea that God somehow is just sitting there judging us every day oppressively. We don't even understand his nature. How many times have you stopped to think that God is actually in your corner? That God wants you to succeed? That God has intervened in your life and is working aggressively so that you win? God is an active God who loves you and cares about you and wants you to succeed. So we need to contemplate what that looks like. In Jeremiah 29, 11, we've read this many times before, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. How involved does that sound? Many times we give this only to young people because we think once you reach middle age or past, you got no future. Your future's behind you. You know, your future's always ahead of you. That's why it's called the future. And it doesn't matter what your age is. This is applicable to all of us. God knows your future. God works to ensure that future comes to be. You want to know what the biggest threat to your future is? And God's plan is you. That's the threat. God is always active. This is a, this is a lengthy verse. But if I could put all this together... How does God actually make this work? In Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 9. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. When did he choose us? This is all preordained. We came about because God loved us. And God knew every one of you before you came about. You want to talk about an active God in your life. There are no accidents. God loved you before you were you. And it's important to understand that. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And then one more in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You see the purpose here? God didn't just wind this up, throw you a Bible and say, good luck. I hope you can figure it all out. God is active and involved in us. He has your future. He understands it. This is predestined. He loved you from the beginning. He wants you to succeed, and he's active in your life, carrying out that will for all good purposes, meaning when we mess up and we go to God, he finds a way to straighten that out. That doesn't mean there isn't consequences in our life. Unfortunately, sin has consequences, but there's always a pathway back to God. There's always a way to straighten out what has been crooked. God is always in your life. He is in your corner. And with God in your corner, what do you have to worry about? So we wait on God because it's best for us. He knows the timing. He knows the purpose. He knows where we need to be. How many of you in your life have thanked God because of a delay in something you thought you wanted? How many times have you prayed and it not worked out and you look back on that later and say, thank God that didn't happen? Sometimes we don't work, it doesn't work the way we think, 
not because God's not listening to us. It's because God has a plan for us. He knows our future and he loves us. God sees the big picture. The full picture. You see a little picture of right now. God sees the full picture of right now and the full picture of everything else that lies ahead. We are literally blind in looking at this roadmap for ourselves. Yet God sees perfectly. So we wait on him. And we are supposed to wait on him. It also shows us the need for prayer. Sometimes waiting on God, this is a great quote by John Bunyan, he who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. There's this idea about morning prayer, about how you start your day. I don't care where you are, in the car, at home, whatever it is, praying in the evening, praying in the afternoon, whenever you find time and make time, waiting on God draws us closer to him, period. And sometimes he has us wait. Because what he demands from us is a relationship. Not just empty words, not a mantra, but an actual relationship with him. So I challenge you, how do you communicate with God? When was the last time you had a meaningful, heartfelt, open conversation with God? He wants that from us. And it's not just about prosperous times. Unfortunately, and I'm in this camp as well, there are times when we only go to God for crisis. We treat him like he's a genie in the lamp, like we rub the lamp and we try and make wishes in desperation. It's not how he works. And we don't have to guess that's how he works. He tells us how it works. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 2, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear. And listen to this. But your iniquities, or sins, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Why? So that he will not hear. It's not that God's not hearing. It's God's not listening to you. He's not going to act in that life because you have no relationship with him. He wants a relationship with you. He stands ready to act. He stands ready to get involved. But he's not going to be treated like a genie. That's not who our God is. And there's another piece to look at in James chapter 4, verse 3. Our motives behind asking are important. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I've wished for a lot of things. I've prayed for a lot of things that probably fit in this camp because I was only focused on myself. So God needs us in prayer. He tells us that because we need him in prayer. We're the needy piece of this. And he's trying to demonstrate that for us. I can hear you, but I'm not going to act because I have no relationship with you. Because you've chosen not to have one with me. God loved us first. But it's up to us to establish that relationship with him. He stands ready. You know it very well. Ask, seek, knock. Right? Those action words are on us. He has already prepared everything on his end but it's up to us to act. Thirdly, it reveals our true commitment. Waiting on God really determines whether or not you're in it or whether this is a temporal phase. We have a lot of examples, by the way, about commitments and how this works. In Luke chapter 14, 28 through 30, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? 
For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. This isn't a house-building lesson. This isn't a do-it-yourself channel message here. This is about, have you thought this through? Because when you have a relationship with Christ, there's a cost involved, not a monetary one. The cost is your commitment. The cost is your heart back to God. And if you're not approaching this properly, if you're doing this in a way that is really uh, casual and you're non-committed, it's going to be difficult to maintain and establish that relationship. You're either all in or you're not. Jesus makes it really clear. We've got to count the cost first. Now, we know this in our secular walk, right? Hollywood even gets this. Almost every movie has been made. I honestly believe that. But every movie that looks at commitment to determine if someone's really in it, every one of them follows the same theme, right? I've picked some of the cheesiest ones I could think of, right? I'm thinking of Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid, right? How much wax on, wax off actually has to happen to see if Daniel-san is in? Right? He wanted to quit many times, but you know, all he wants to do is, I want to take karate. He's like, no, not yet. You're going to wait. You're going to wait. I'm going to put you through. I'm going to find out whether your heart's really in it. Because the average person would have quit by then. Right? We have every Rocky movie every May. It was the same thing. And I don't care if it's Rocky or Top Gun. There's got to be a training montage. Right? There always has to be a training montage. The main character is kind of semi-committed, distracted, mentally. then there's got to be some really cheesy music that you probably have to turn it off because you can't handle it. And then there's this scene of just constant tough training, right? Because now they're in it. Now they're committed. They're willing to do whatever they want in order to get there. And almost every police movie, is every police chief that angry and yells at every detective everywhere, right? But it's the determined detective who has to put up with all this nonsense who's going to get his person, right? They're never going to quit. And everyone's angry at them. But they've got it. They're in it to win it. So we understand this with Hollywood. But what about with us? As a Marine, I understand this really well. We have this thing called recruit training or officer training. We look at this idea of true commitment. And there's two things that we want to see under stress, under great stress. First, we take you in a human condition where you kind of like yourself and you like your little world, and we destroy it all. We take all that away from you. Sleep, fun, we wear you out physically, and we're looking for a couple things, and only a couple things. Are you able to make personal sacrifice? Because if you can't sacrifice, if you can't put other things ahead of your own priority, other people, the team, ahead of yourself, you're not going to last very long. So we might as well learn that right away. And the other thing that we look at is, are you a person who never quits? Can you do one more rep? Can you go one more foot? Can you do one more thing? Can you put your body past what everyone else says should be your stopping point? What a great comparison, even though it's not a physical thing necessarily. But this idea of commitment, sometimes God has us wait to see if we're truly committed to the cost. And the beauty of that is through that waiting period, if you're not, you might find yourself conditioned to be. That's the whole idea. It's not sit there just to put you through a test, but to get you ready so that you're successful for the cost that is extracted in your faith following. This isn't just a waiting game with a clock ticking. This is about you being conditioned in this process. God is actively working in your life to harden you and to strengthen you for what's to come. Think about that. 
This is yet another one of his investments. This isn't a harassment package. This is an investment in making you stronger. This is God's training montage. It just doesn't involve a lot of sit-ups and running. Right? So think about that investment, testing our own resolve and how God works in our life. Now here's one, and we're almost done. Here's one that probably, you probably are amen and all the way through until I get right here. This is a great lesson for everybody else. God looks after me. I get it. I get the patience and the commitment and the timing. This all makes sense. What are you talking about self-sufficiency and independent spirit? Let me tell you something. Many of you in here, if not all of you in here, have an independent self-sufficient streak. We like to disguise it in things like, well, uh, I can do that, or I got this, or I don't need your help. Sometimes we say it quietly. Sometimes we say it semi-politely. You're not as polite as you think you are. Uh, when you turn down help, because pride sometimes puts us in a waiting period where God says, you know what? I was ready to act in this, but you're not. You need to first depend on me because what I'm going to unfold is going to be very clear to you that this didn't come from you. I personally believe that's why salvation didn't come in the Garden of Eden. I think that's why it waited for a while. I think man had to see that man couldn't get it done. For all that man tried to do, man couldn't do it. We were waiting on Jesus. That's what we've been waiting on. And so timing in that, in this idea of self-sufficiency, is very important. We have a lot of pride. Benjamin Franklin has a quote. There is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It's still alive. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. David Rhodes said, pride is the dandelion of the soul. Its roots go deep, only a little left behind sprouts again. Its seeds lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks, and it flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. Pride can be an incredibly damaging thing. It's like someone who's out there swimming and, you know, across a long body of water, and it looks like they're not going to make it, and you get up next to them and you throw them a life preserver, and they say, no thanks and they drown. Many people have drowned in their own alleged self-sufficiency. And it's a really, really sad thing uh, to see. It's the same reason many reject the gospel. In Psalm 143, or 142, 3 through 6, the Bible says, When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Think about where the writer is in his life in this particular passage. Pride and self-sufficiency for whatever was thought before this, this is a humble person. This is a scared person. This is somebody who realizes they can't do what they need to do without God. Does it take this type of trial for us to wake up and realize you can't do it all yourself? 
Sometimes it does. Right? And maybe that's why God's having you wait. But remember, God's not having you wait because this is some kind of game to him. He's having you wait because you're not where you need to be in your own pride life. Might be one of those answers. Your dependency on him speeds this process up. Less on you, more on God. Finally, it teaches us to find comfort in God's providence. We don't use this word very often. Many of you don't even know what it really means. But the idea of providence means that you're living under the protection of God. That's what it literally means. How many of you think that? When you walk out of here today, that you are under, as a believer in Christ, you are under the providence of God. That doesn't mean you're protected physically. Bad things happen to good people, physically. It doesn't mean that you won't suffer financial loss or hardship or death or, or challenge in your life. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that you are sealed, that God has sealed you for your forever future, and you're under his protection. If that doesn't make you a happy person, I don't know what would. So when you think about what I challenged you in the beginning of this about a, an oppressive God looking down on you, beating you up for your sins, the real picture from a biblical perspective is exactly the opposite. It's a loving God who's involved in your lives, who has sacrificed his only son to ensure that you have forgiveness and given you a pathway for a future life, meaning no second death, that allows you to live in heaven forever who's invested in you, who wants the best for you, who has plans for you, who's active and involved in your life and is trying to push out those things which are holding you back. And one of his tools is waiting. We need to think about what that means in our lives and why it's so important. In Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And in Psalm 142, verse 3, when my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. This idea of you not being able to see it, you may not even need to understand it. You may not have ever understood. There are things in my life where I know God has been active, and to this day I still don't understand. I don't understand why certain things went the way they did. The ones that I was the problem with, I understand those very well. I fully understand the consequences that I reap from what I sowed. But I don't understand other things that happen, but I do know that God is working all of those for the good because he can find a way to make that happen. That's our quiet confidence that we should have in our walk with God. And in Isaiah 30, the first part of 15, this is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength. Isn't this the opposite of what the world says? This is 180 out. This says surrender and find peace. And the world says tackle it on with aggression and never give up, and you do it all yourself. Salvation has never been within you. Salvation has always been within Christ. And lastly, think about this idea of nothing happens by accident. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good come? Our God is in control, right? And then 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 
this idea, can you stand up for these? Can you stand under the pressure? If you're going through these trials, if you're waiting, if this idea of self-sufficiency and independence needs to be conquered in order for you to get to where you go, can you get there? No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. If a door is closed, there's a window open. We've been, we talk about that all the time, but that's biblically based, right? So, why does God make us wait? I didn't say, will God make you wait? God has made you wait. You may just not have been cognizant of it. You will now. I hope you will now. But it's because it's best for us. He knows the full picture. It's also because it's its need for prayer. It increases our prayer life. It should as we go to God and ask him to be involved. It tests and reveals our true commitment and our motivations to make sure we understand and we count the cost. It puts a dampening, hopefully, on our self-sufficiency, and it teaches us to find comfort in God's providence, this idea that he is our protector. If the Bible greats have had to wait and you're having to wait, you should be pretty happy you're in good company. It's my prayer today that we understand and use that time and fully realize this. God is active in your life. He loves you. He wants you to succeed. He is in your corner. He has given it the ultimate sacrifice through his son to ensure that pathway is laid clear. Grace abounds. All we have to do is accept it. And it's my prayer today that if you haven't accepted it, that you don't leave here today without doing so. Please let us know if you have any needs as we stand and sing.